My name is Alana and you are listening to Give a Damn, a podcast that intentionally and mindfully explores life's common challenges in order to break down the barriers between us and become the best version of yourself. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Give a Damn podcast. My name is Alana Weinroth. I hope you're having a wonderful day today. Thanks so much again for uh, tuning in with me. If it's your first time, welcome. This podcast is meant to be a safe space where we're just going to talk about things that everybody goes through that maybe you feel alone. And then I bring on guests who I think are giving damn so many amazing dams about their communities and their selves and just want to share their journey. So everyone leaves after listening to this podcast, feeling inspired and supported and loved. Um, that is a whole goal here. So if you have any feedback for me, I am open to it. I'd love to hear it. Um, I'm here for you. We need support and community now more than ever before. Um, Quick housekeeping, uh, check out the Give a Damn website. We're linked on the Instagram page. You can get hats, you can get sweatshirts, um, listen to the podcast, watch the episodes, whatever you want to do. It's all on there. And um, yeah, thanks for all your love and support. If you like this, as always, rate, review, subscribe. That helps the algorithm. I want to keep growing this community. And so I need your help doing that. So without further ado, this episode is going to be really, really special today. I've been thinking about putting out an episode on human trafficking for a long time now. So if this is something, um, we're going to talk about things that are really sensitive today. We're going to talk about things that might make you emotional. Maybe you've never heard before. So I just want to give everybody a heads up on that. But um, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, almost every time, I work at an organization called The Covenant House, which is a homeless shelter for transitional age youth. And a big part of our work is working with survivors of human trafficking. So I wanted to bring on today someone, I always tell you guys, I'll only bring my friends on who I know and love. And uh, this person is so special, so knowledgeable, and so inspiring she walks the walk she talks the talk she does it all you'll find out i'm i'm gonna like i'm just like gassing you up before you even get on here monique so um monique aniguez was born and raised in california in 2010 she began to learn about the issue of human trafficking and started attending task force meetings to become more educated on the issue In 2012, Monique moved to Los Angeles to work with survivors of human trafficking, and by the end of 2016, Monique became the program director of a human trafficking residential program. Over the course of the last eight years, Monique has not only worked in a residential setting with survivors, but has also been part of a street outreach team. She has participated in numerous special operations with the FBI, law enforcement, and Homeland Security. In September of 2018, Monique transitioned to the Covenant House and is now their human trafficking case manager. Welcome to the Give a Damn podcast, Monique. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on. I feel like I said your last name wrong. Did I mispronounce it? No, I think you got it pretty right. And I guess, yeah. Okay. All right. Just making sure. Um, I meant every word I said. I'm really excited to have you on today because you're my go-to 
girl at Cove to share something that not a lot of people know a lot about. It's not talked about nearly enough. Um, and so I'm just really excited for you to share your experience and your knowledge with everyone today. So thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be able to share all this information with y'all. Awesome. Well, let's start, let's give us a little bit of background here. I like to kind of start from the top. So tell us just like a little bit about your background and what got you into human trafficking? Because by your bio, this isn't something that like you've always done from the beginning. So what, what really like got you into this work? Yeah. So it's been about 10 years ago when I started getting into this work, I was living in the central Valley. So I was living in Fresno during the time. And I had a friend who was uh, living in Sacramento and she came to visit and she was sharing that she was working with minors who had been trafficked over in Sacramento. And I didn't, at that time, I didn't know a lot about trafficking. Um, but for the longest time, I knew I wanted to work with like uh, women specifically or young girls who had been sexually abused, but I never really understood why I've never experienced sexual abuse. So it was just kind of a weird thing to be drawn to towards. And so when she shared what she was doing, it was like this light bulb went off and I was like, Oh, this is what I want to do. And so from that point on, I just knew that I needed to learn more about the issue before I like just started getting involved. And so um, I was like this random girl that would show up to these task force meetings that had nothing to do with like the field at all. I was working at a college during the time. So I would just show up and I just continued to show up all the time and just to learn and then just started volunteering wherever I could um, in Fresno specifically. And so during that time, there was a need for law enforcement to have backpacks for whenever they would have a survivor. Um, and so I started like doing a fundraiser and, and getting people to donate items for the backpacks and just would provide them um, to law enforcement through an organization I was volunteering with. And then I heard about internship in LA um, at the Dream Center and they had a human trafficking program. And so I was like, well, I'll apply for it and see what happens. But I was pretty settled. Like I was living like a pretty comfortable life and had a good job. And so it was an unpaid internship. So I was like, I'm really gonna about to apply for this unpaid internship to go live in a big city and not have any kind of money. Um, and that's literally what I did. I like cashed out my 401k. I got rid of everything that I owned. I had a thousand dollars to live off of for a year. Um, and I moved to LA. Yeah, literally. I moved to LA uh, to do this internship. And so I started off um, getting to learn about outreach. I worked a lot of overnight shifts during in the residential home, which was hard for me because I was like, I didn't come here to work overnight. I came here to like work directly with the residents. But um, it was good because during those times, it made me realize like you are working with them and you're taking care of them overnight. And so um, I did a lot of overnights, started doing outreach and then started. We had like an emergency shelter started there and then just kind of progressed from there. I had only really planned to be in LA for a year. I thought I would be in LA for a year, learn what I need to learn, and then go to New York. Is has always been the goal to go to New York and start my own nonprofit. But um, I ended up being here a lot longer because it's been eight years now um, that I've continued to do this work in LA. Wow, I did not know all that background. How did yeah, you start a year in LA off a thousand dollars? Listen, <laughs> honestly, I have no idea because I ran out of money. Uh, I got here in September. I like ran out by February. And so there was a point where I literally had zero dollars to my name. 
and it is a miracle that I made it, but I did. Um, yeah, I would like, and the other thing was I worked so much, like I didn't really have time off. So a lot of times like meals and stuff were provided through work. So I was okay that way. I always had a roof over my head because I was living in the facility, like where I was volunteer or I was intern at. And so, you know, you just make it work. Like it was rough. There was like a lot of sleepless nights, but I survived. Like I made it through. It was, it was probably like one of the best experiences, one of the hardest, one of the best and made me learn to be very creative with very little. So that was good. And, yeah. you, and the thing is like you were going after something that you were so passionate about and yeah, you would, you traded everything yeah. you had for it. That's, I don't think many people can say that they love something that much, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that's really incredible. Um, Monique, for people who don't know, can you just sort of define what human trafficking is? I feel like there's this, there's, what I hear often is that people confuse prostitution and human trafficking. And so maybe touch mm -hmm. on both of those, like what is human trafficking and why and how is that different from prostitution? Sure. Um, okay. So the, the, like the actual definition of human trafficking, it involves the use of force, fraud, or uh, coercion to obtain, to obtain something in return. So a lot of times it would be like a commercial sex act. Um, and so that is the definition of human trafficking. Um, so there has to be uh, the use of force, fraud, or coercion. That's what makes it uh, trafficking. Um, and that's for an adult. So like if it's a minor, the, the, the means of, you don't need to have a means, like there doesn't have to be the force, fraud, or coercion automatically because it's a minor, it's considered trafficking. Um, prostitution, would be somebody who is is selling themselves is like choosing to sell themselves and i know there's a lot of confusion between the two because they can be interchange interchangeable and a lot of times what people mistake to be prostitution is actually trafficking so there is like this rule if you're like in like the human trafficking community like we don't we don't ever call uh, a victim or a survivor a prostitute like it's a bad word like we don't use the p word kind of a thing um, because there is a negative connotation attached to that word specifically. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. I hear that a lot. Like, is, isn't this a, I think it comes down, it feels like to choice and there's a lot mm -hmm. of confusion about choice and being coerced into something and manipulated into mm -hmm. thinking you have no way out, which I know is a lot of times what we see with the girls that come in, um, mm -hmm. to the house. That's really helpful. Thank you. So talk to us about um, human trafficking in LA. So you said you wanted to maybe like go to New York and start some, I, I don't know how much knowledge you have about like what's going on around the rest of the country, but um, what do you see in LA? Like how does it compare to other cities and just where is it bad mostly? And how do you identify someone who is being trafficked when you go out and do right. outreach? Yeah. So trafficking in LA is bad. I mean, besides the fact that LA is obviously a, a huge city, it attracts so many different people. And obviously prior to COVID, there's events going on all the time. So people are always coming in and out. A lot of movement is happening here. Um, and trafficking takes place in various areas of, of the city. So there is, you know, uh, street trafficking where uh, a lot of times I will, in my experience, I worked with mainly women. So obviously 
men and boys get sold as well. But so when I talk, I tend to say her a lot. And that's only because based upon my experience. Um, so a lot of times uh, there's a lot of street trafficking that takes place where there are a lot of women like working out on the streets. Um, there are also brothels that are that are here as well. Um, and it, there's a lot of online ads. So like Backpage was an example, which is no longer a thing, but now there's like Backpage Pro. So I'm like, cool, y'all added a few more letters and now it's back up. Um, yeah, yeah. Like they'll have bands posted around town like back, Backpage Pro. Um, so it happens everywhere in the city. But what I can say is the thing that I'm most familiar with is like trafficking that's happening out on the streets. And a lot of times this tends to happen in like, uh, lower income communities. So for LA specifically, like the areas that I'll tend to go out and do outreach a lot is going to be South Central um, in Compton, and sometimes like in the downtown area. And it doesn't matter what time of day it is, there's always going to be somebody out there working, uh, which I don't, I don't know if that looks the same in other cities. I've, I've worked with um, other agencies in, in different states, and they've talked about you know, they don't necessarily have a lot of uh, women working out on the streets per se. For like them, it's more of the motels or whatever. So it, do, it, it does vary from place to place. Also, it's gonna depend on weather. LA, like we are pretty spoiled and have really nice weather here. So therefore, that's, that is another reason why you will always see somebody working out on the streets. And so a lot of times what will happen is like, let's say people who may might work the streets on the East Coast, in the wintertime, they would come here to work because the weather's nicer. No one's going to be out when it's snowing, like, you know what I mean? Working out on the streets. And so street trafficking is really big here. And um, the streets are crazy out here. Like, and I feel like, the, I don't know what it is about the summertime, but like the summertime like does something to people where in the summer, the streets are so much crazier than they are in the wintertime. Um, but yeah, doesn't matter what time of day. And again, a lot of times it's the lower income communities where you tend to see people being trafficked out on the streets. That's a good point about the weather too. I feel like that's in general something like the homeless population being so bad, like such a big component of that is weather. Like yeah. homeless, you don't want to be in New York in the snow. Like you'd rather, that's why there's like, I went to Venice just the other day and I was shocked how different, I'm wearing a Venice shirt, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> how different it is. Like, it's just, I mean, like tents all the way down the beach. And I get it. Like, yes. if you're going to be, I mean, you have to like think about it. Like, if you were in that position, because let's be honest, that could be any one of us. You know, like we were like mm -hmm. one decision away. Anyone could be one decision away from being homeless. And especially right mm -hmm. now, with everything going totally. on, you'd want to be on the beach. You'd want to be where it's warm. Mm -hmm. so, that's so totally. interesting. Um, talk through, you do um, our outreach and you go out in the car a couple times a week. So um, what does that process look like when um, you go and meet, obviously like I know, but like talk, tell people about like what sure. you're to do outreach. Yeah. So outreach, first of all, is probably my most favorite thing to do. Um, just because like you get to go out and meet people exactly where they're at. And so like, and I think just showing up speaks volumes to the individuals we're trying to connect with. So what we do is we, yeah, we go out like a few times a week. Um, we'll do like, we'll go out in the daytime and at night. 
um, and we just get into a car. We like load the car up and we will bring out, like we have these little makeup bags that will have um, like hand sanitizer in there, feminine wipes. We try to put like Advil in there and a lip gloss. And then we've been bringing out snacks too. So like chips and drinks. Um, and we go out onto the streets where people are being trafficked and we literally will get in line with the purchasers because there is traffic for the individuals who are who are working on the streets and so we literally just get in line with them we'll pull up directly um to one of the victims and then we will just offer them a gift um and that's like a good way to like start a conversation and it's just it's you know it's a harmless like little gift that we're giving them sometimes they look at us crazy like what are you doing out here trying to give me something who are you kind of a thing but yeah we'll just offer them a gift and uh we'll see if they want something to drink or whatever and just check up on them and over time because we are very good about being consistent and going out then they start to see us more and more and they start to you know familiarize our faces and they feel more comfortable in having actual conversations with us um and so then yeah we just check in on them honestly just to see how they're doing um like a couple weeks ago when we actually had went out it was a late night that we went out and there was like so much activity going on there were some new people out there was like a lot of traffickers a lot of pimps were out on the streets and there was like this one girl who was walking that we were trying to get to but someone uh, a trafficker had like hopped out of the car and was like basically chasing her and following her so we just kept circling around just to keep an eye on her and then finally he he was trying to rob her is what he was trying to do he finally left and then we just rolled up on her to see if she was okay and just to like give, give her some water to help calm her down and whatnot and so a lot of times it's just like establishing relationships passing out things to them and just checking up on them to see how they're doing um and getting to, like getting to actually know them uh because a lot of the times you know they're just seen as an object and no one is really coming to check up on them and getting to know them and their situation and how they're doing and what are their needs and so on yeah what do you think typically the reaction when you guys come up is like do you think that it is it more often they're like what are you doing here or does it come yeah. time that they that they appreciate you checking in and then what would you say the rate of girls from the the ones you see on the street to ones who actually like leave and come to covenant houses yeah so a lot of times the reaction is i think surprised um but it's we're received pretty well and automatically they assume that we're associated with the church because like we're just out there being nice and said so, like oh you're the church ladies <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like nah. <laughs> nah also i'm not that old to be a church lady but okay <laughs> um yeah so a lot of times like it's kind of like oh wow y'all are being like so nice or whatever um and so it's received really really well and kind of shocked and then after a while we get kind of like street cred from some of the girls because they're like wow you guys are the real ones you're out here on the streets like actually checking in on us um like people don't really do that so as far as individuals that we connect with and like them coming into the cove um you know though it takes that takes time because there's so many different layers to the trafficking piece where yes we can be out there talking to them and connecting with them but they have to be in a place where they feel like everything has really been stripped of them like they have to be in a they have to hit rock bottom really before they're just like okay like let me get away or whatever 
um, and be into a space where they're ready to, you know, see, like get into a program and like figure out housing and jobs and all that kind of stuff. And so it varies from person to person in their situation, honestly. But the thing that's amazing is even though like they may not be ready, the fact that they are engaging in conversation with us and may want and will ask ways to stay connected with us, even though they're still like working, they'll be like, oh, okay, I know that you're from a program, but how can I reach out to you if I need someone to talk to or whatever? And so that within itself speaks volumes. I'm like, we're doing our job because they're wanting to connect. And so it's just a matter of time before they get to that point where they're like, help me to get out of the situation. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. The relationship. I mean, it's like anyone. I mean, you haven't been able to trust people your whole life. Probably not going to trust yeah. you when you just roll up and say like, we want to help totally. you. Typically the first non quid pro quo relationship they've ever encountered. So, um, yeah, to totally. An example I've used a lot is like when you're a kid and like, you are first making friends with somebody, you're not going to just spend the night at their house right away. Right. Like you hang out with them a few times to get to know them before you can even like feel comfortable enough to spend the night. And so I can't go out on the street to go meet these individuals and think that all of a sudden they're going to want to come with me. Cause at the end of the day, I'm a stranger and they're like, I don't know you. I need to get to know you before I can feel comfortable enough to go stay the night at your house. So that would be like them coming to the cub. That's such a good point. I like that. That's a really good way to compare it. That's for sure. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Monique, how do you not take this work home with you? Like, <laughs> like I, the reason I'm so impressed with you and really, I probably have never even told you this, but like from the moment I met you, like you hold all this really well. Like you talk about it in a way where it seems like you have created some type of like distance so it doesn't seem like it you take it home and I'm probably wrong so I'm curious like this is really really heavy stuff even if yeah. you know what you're doing especially like yeah. the year that you did it for the first time and you're like living like did it take you time to create like a self-care like do you have a self-care pra practice or how do you not go to bed and like cry at night Right, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess it depends on the day. Um, it's funny because the first uh, six years of doing this in LA were really, really hard because I not only worked with this population, but I lived with them. So that's another piece of like my story that I didn't share, but I lived in the home with them in the home that I oversaw. Um, and so I was constantly in it all the time. So there was not really any kind of separation. And there came a point where I would say about year five into it, where I like became really, really depressed. Um, and I just was like carrying like the weight of everything. And I was going, going, going so much that I never had the time to process anything out. So I have literally about a good, like five years worth of things that I've, witnessed i've heard or whatever um and working with these survivors that i never processed out because there just actually wasn't any time or space for it yeah. so i basically um was kind of forced to have to like i started for me i started going to therapy that was that was the thing where i started recognizing like wow i'm really down and like i'm not okay and it's really hard to sit there and motivate other people motivate the residents and then i was having to motivate the staff as well when 
at the end of the day, I was just like really down. So I started going to therapy and that for me ended up making a huge difference. And it also made me feel like, okay, like I'm not crazy because I guess something that I've done is I, I can detach pretty easily from certain things, but for this, because I was always in it, I wasn't fully able to detach. And so I was just like, man, why am I like crying all the time? And like, why am I like really, really down? And, and I couldn't figure it out. And I thought that something was wrong with me, but I'm like, hello, the therapist is like, hello, you have been doing this work for how long? And you've never processed this out. Like, of course you feel like this. There was literally a time when I went into session where I was telling him, he asked me, well, what did you do the night before? I was like, oh, I had street outreach. There was a girl, she had like gotten stabbed or something and she was like bleeding from her leg, but she didn't want help. I'm like, it was a pretty chill night. He was like, did you just hear what you said? I'm like, everything was fine though. She didn't want help. And he's like, no, this is what I'm talking about. And so <laughs> in how going to therapy for a while, it helped. But once I started to learn about like creating boundaries for myself and being like, it's okay for you to say no to something. It's okay. If you need to take a break, like you are important because if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to continue doing this work. There's no way there's absolutely no way. And so I think allowing space for myself to be able to say no to things. Um, and to say like, I actually can't do this today. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not superwoman. Like there's only so much that I can do. Um, and because I also started to lose like part of myself, I think in the work as well. And so just slowly started doing things that I love to do again and taking more time for myself. And it made a huge difference. And I'm a lot more sane now than I was during that time. So, yeah. I can't believe you said that was a chill night. That is so, that, that's, that could like, if someone else experienced that, they could not forget that for the rest of their life. And you probably won't. Right. Um, right. But that's, I'm so, that's so, I love when people talk about therapy because I feel like finally there's less of a stigma around it and mm -hmm. it's so important and processing and taking that space and time is huge. I, and I can't even imagine when you lived with these girls. Oh, it's crazy. It is so crazy. I feel like I lived a whole other life. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I mean, you, you are someone that they deeply trust. I can tell. And, you know, I've, I wish, I wish we could get like a photo of your office. Cause Monique has like the, just this office that is like right from when you started at Cove, like there's like a banner and unicorns and it's just like, it's bright and it's cheerful and it makes the young people when they come in feel so safe. So even just when you do the case management work, I know that you, um, you've done the work to take care of yourself, it seems like, and so that you can take care of these girls so well. Um, and you might be one of the only people that they can count on, and that's huge, huge. Yeah, well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, mm -hmm. before, we, before I ask you a wrap question, I just wanna ask you, like, is there one moment in your work that has like was like the most memorable moment or the most special something that like really impacted you or changed you and i did not put this in the questions to prep you with so i'm really sorry no that's okay um there's been lots of moments but i i can use something that actually happened this past week um as like a newer moment so there's times when you do this kind of work where you feel like it can be so overwhelming you feel like am i actually making a difference like 
you know, like when you don't see change the way that you hope or whatever, it can be really easy to then become discouraged in some areas. And so this past week, I was doing outreach, it was on Friday, and we were just getting ready to wrap up to go back. Um, and it was during the afternoon. And they're one of the last individuals I worked with at my last job who was in the residential program. I just hadn't heard from her or seen her in a while. Um, I was just curious as to how she was doing. And so I was um, getting ready to come back and I saw her on the street. And so I literally, <laughs> in the middle of like daytime traffic, I like pulled over, put the car in park and I was like, Tell, I told the person I was working with, I'll be right back. And I got on foot and like, I chased her down. <laughs> and, and I was like, I was like, Hey, and she turned around and she was just like, Monique, I was wondering if I would ever see you again. And then she like came and like grabbed me and like gave me a hug. And so we were talking for a while and she was just telling me, she was like, I just, she was just basically saying, thank you. Just like saying how she thinks about a lot of times that like she spent in the program that I worked at before. And so she'd asked me like, is that program still happening? And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, no, it's actually not. And she's like, who's doing this work though? Like nobody loves us the way that like you love us. And so she's like, people, people need this kind of help. Like she's like, I was finally at a point in my life where I wanted to get out and I needed it. And she's like, and you guys were all there for me. And so I think for me, it was like, it was a good reminder as to why like, I do this because so many times we do this work and we get tired and like a lot and I hate this because I, I like people always say this to me but I'm like we're planting seeds like at the end of the day we are actually planting seeds we don't always get to see the plant grow and we kind of have to be okay with that as long as we're intentional when we do our part that plant will grow it will grow in time and so um I think just like getting to see her again and her saying those things is just like a good reminder for me of like yes like this is making an impact and like yes, these individuals are feeling loved and, and they remember um, and, and are doing okay. And so for me, it was a really good reminder. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's such a good, I like saying that, like it is planting seeds. Like you don't, you have to be mm -hmm. okay with not knowing that whether like that turns into a flower or not, it blossoms. Yeah, totally. Totally. That's so important. I, I admire you so much. I think the work you do is so incredible. I couldn't do it. Like all the time when I tell people that I work at Covenant House, I'm like, no, but I'm not the hero. Like I just raise money. Like you guys, you, Nick, Laura, like everybody on the front lines, like you're doing God's work and you have to really create those boundaries and, um, and also like find that space for yourself, which is what give a damn is all about too. Is like you said it so perfectly. If you can't fill your cup up first, you it can't spill over for other people. So I'm so mm -hmm. glad you do that. Um, Monique, two last questions. One is like, do you have a morning or evening sort of self-care routine that you do to set you up for your day? Mm, that's a good question. So I think more so recently, I have become more and more of a morning person. So I think the morning has become my favorite time because if, if I wake up early enough um, <laughs> to get up and just like have my cup of coffee and just like be still for a little bit to not necessarily do anything to like not like look through my phone or anything like that, just to like be still and enjoy like the silence with my coffee before whatever 
potential chaos comes up throughout the day is really nice. Um, and that just kind of helps me to just like be present in that moment and like be able to breathe easy and yeah, just to prepare me for the rest of the day. Um, also I am like a nighttime shower. So like I literally every night like to be able to shower and I feel like I'm like physically washing away the day. So if it was like a horrible day and all these bad things happen, I, I say like showering is like one of the best self-care things you can do for yourself because it just, it does help to like relax your muscles and you are literally washing the day away. Um, so I think that's a, another routine of mine that I do. I do that too. I think that's huge. I started doing that at Cub and I sage myself sometimes if I had a really hard day. Like, oh, that's a, that's a good idea. Uh -huh. I've never like, done that before. I should. My therapist told me to do that when I was like, I don't know how to handle this. He's like energetically removing the day away from you and then always taking a shower to physically remove as well. Smart. I'm going to try that. Got you. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> um, and my last question for you, my friend, is what do you give the most dams about? What do I give the most dams about? Honestly, people. Um, that is the most important thing to me is people and for people to know that they're loved. Um, and freedom. Like for everybody in their life has something that has like held them captive to some degree. And so being able for people just to be free to be who they are and to not have to like worry about anything, like to have a moment to actually be able to be free and express themselves in whatever way that needs to be, I think is so important. Um, but yeah, people are what I give a damn about. I don't do what I do for money. That is for damn sure. I do it for people. <laughs> I do it for the people because I love people and you know, we all need to be loved. Like we were, I'm a firm believer, like we were created for love and to be loved. And so we have a responsibility to do that. So, yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you for taking your Sunday morning to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, it was so much fun, yeah. This is so great. This made me just miss you guys so much more. And um, I can't wait to get back and see you and be able to give you a hug again. Um, yeah. So where can people find you if they want to get more information about trafficking, if they have questions, what's the, like Instagram, Facebook, go ahead and like plug yourself wherever you are. Sure. I would say Instagram is probably the best space to find me. Uh, my Instagram handle is Monique Vaness. So it's like Vanessa without the A, Monique Vaness. Nice. And I'll tag you in this as well. So people can just click on the link and direct message you. So cool. Awesome. My okay. friend. Well, thank you so much again. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. And everyone, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, if you have any questions, concerns, just want to talk through it. I know it's kind of a heavy topic. Hopefully you learned something new today and you feel inspired. Um, you can always message me. I am here for you. And um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. As always, give a damn about your community. Give a damn about your neighbor. But most importantly, give a damn about your damn self. Have a good day, my friends.